0: I want us to look at the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's probably, it's one of uh, the books that people, when you hear people talk about the, the epistles, they will say that uh, Romans is, you know, like the book that Paul wrote that was the best book uh, that, that Paul ever wrote in his epistles. Now, if I was teaching Romans, I would have said that. But I'm teaching Ephesians. So I'm going to tell you this. Ephesians... Is one of the best books that Paul ever wrote, uh, especially in this subject of the church. And uh, it's a very easy book to read. You can read it very quickly through, and it's divided in two parts. Chapter 1, 2, and 3 is the doctrine, and then chapter 4, 5, and 6 is how to behave because of what now you know and believe. Amen. When I say amen, please say amen back. It will encourage me, okay? Uh, I like interaction with the people I, I, speak, I speak with. So now we are in that part of Ephesians where Paul is telling Christians how to behave because of what they believe, okay? Our belief, I believe, directly affects our behavior. So this morning, I want us to speak about Uh, Growing a United Mature Church And our text is going to come from the book of Ephesians chapter 4 Verse 11 to 16 And I'm going to give you a bit of context there And then I'm going to talk to you about it But before then, let me just read the text uh, From uh, the English Standard Version And I've requested that they put the verses there So you can hear it from me And you can see it as well And I think that way it will sink in deep Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, don't worry. Uh, We believe that the Bible is the word of God. So when we read from it, I always like to do this, that God is speaking to us. So if you are looking for God's will and for God to speak to you, look no further. This is it right here. Okay. So as we read these words, they're not just mere words. They have the power of God behind them. If you're a Christian, I pray that this will encourage you uh, to live your life with confidence. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of The stature stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, making, uh, makes the body grow so that it's built, uh, it builds itself up in love. Now, uh, when I was in seminary, they said a good sermon must have a main idea. So I'm going to give you the main idea of my sermon. As I was reading uh, through this passage, over and over and over, it came to me that the main idea of this passage is what, uh, what is the Lord telling us? As you read this passage, what is the Lord telling us today, Grand Bible Church, from this passage? I think, as I was reading it, that the Lord is telling us that we should make equipping the saints the primary focus of our church. That we should make equipping the saints the primary focus of our church. Brothers and sisters of uh, Graham Bible Church is equipping the saints for the work of ministry, the main focus of your church. Is it the main focus of why, why we are here? Every church must have as its primary focus the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. And for our church to do this well, there are three things that I see from this passage that will help us understand how we can make this the focus of our church. And uh, I, I want you to think of these things as, as, as ingredients. Now, of late, I've, I've, I've developed a love for baking. So I bake uh, a cake called the, the cheese uh, uh, cream cheese pound cake. Really good cake. It's not healthy, but it's really, it's really good. And there are so many ingredients and I, 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 the, way, the way I do it, I put the ingredients on a table and then I start putting them together and I blend them and I put them in the oven and I wait for an hour and after, 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 after an hour there's a, 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 a cake that comes out, it's brown, it's fluffy, it's all nice and I just, it's amazing. You know? And so I want you to think of three, these three things as, as, as the ingredients which will help us to have a, 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 a united mature church a church that is focused in the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry amen and, uh, and i want i want to do it really really slowly so that you can get it and it's divided into, into only three parts chapter 4 verse 11 to 12 and then verse 13 and then 14 to 16 and i'm going to tell you this as i go just as a reminder but the first part Uh, For us to have a church that focuses on the equipping of saints for the work of ministry, the first thing that that church must have is that the leaders of that church must know the purpose of why they are in that church. So what is the purpose of the gifted leaders in that church? And verse 11 will start by saying, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds. Now, the context here is Psalm 68. And when you read chapter uh, 4, verse 7 to 10, you kind of get that picture of where the, 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 the passage that, that really confuses people, and he ascended and he descended, and what does that mean? You know? And that psalm is a, is a triumphant psalm of a king who is coming back from conquering his enemies and has all these gifts. And when, when a king in the Old Testament would do that, he would come back, and he would come back come with, the, with, the, with the things from the enemy's land, and he will distribute them as gifts to his people. And so Christ has descended into death, but he did not say dead forever. He rose again from the dead, and he ascended into heaven, and now as the conquering king, he distributes gifts to his people. Are we together up to there? So chapter, seven, chapter 4, verse 7 to 10 is the distribution of gifts to individual people in the church. So every person in the church has been given a gift by this conquering King Jesus. Now, in order for the church to carry out her Christian mission in the world, her leaders must know the purpose of their calling. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time telling you who the prophets and the apostles are. A, a, a lot of preachers like to spend their time there. But what I wanted to, to, to look at this is the, the conquering king has gifted the church with gifted men for a particular reason. And uh, sometimes when you, when you focus so much on the, on, on the definition of, the, of these people, who are, the, who, are, who are the apostles, who are the teachers, who are the prophets you can quickly miss the purpose of why this passage is here. A lot of ministers sometimes focus so much on their title and their endowment. I know I'm from Kenya, and people want to, are you a reverend? Are you a bishop? You know, your pastor is already a bishop. His his, his name is Bishop, you know, so he has that going for him, you know. (laughs) Uh, and then you, you, you have uh, 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 right reverend, left reverend, the most right reverend, the most left reverend, and it's just crazy. It gets really crazy. But that's not why God gave the gifted man these gifts. Jesus has ascended into heaven, but his work of filling up all things, in verse 10, we're going to see that, is to continue through his church as it is built up into unity and maturity by these gifted ministers. And uh, sometimes it's confusing because we will think, or we might think, that the gifted ministers have been called to do the work of ministry all by themselves. That they are called to carry out the work of ministry for all of us. So what we do, we sit there and we pay them, and they do everything. That is not Christianity. And if you are doing that, you are not being a Christian. You are being something else. Maybe, you know, uh, Tommy Nelson always says that it is only in a football stadium where there is thousands of people seated over there in need of uh, exercise, and you have 11 people staying over here, and they're playing in need of rest. You know... (laughs) and And sometimes, in church, it can feel that way. You have people here that are, are toiling in ministry, needing rest, and there are people that they are there that they are just you know they are in need of jesus, but they don 't know it because they are always looking at us to do the work for them. That is not Christianity and I, 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 I want you to to listen to this very carefully. If you read this passage in context, what you 're going to see is this that the work of ministry is a privileged calling for all Christians, and therefore the work of gifted men is to ensure that y'all, the Texan, for you all, <laughs> are equipped to do the ministry. So my work is not to do the ministry for you, my work is to equip you so that we can do the ministry together. Say amen. I hope that goes, if you forget anything I say, don't forget that. Now, don't get me wrong. Well, I'm not trying to say that there is no distinctive pastoral ministry in the local church. It's there. But it is there to help you and encourage you, God's people, to discover, to develop, and to exercise the gift that God has given you. That is my work as a pastor, that I I need to make sure that you understand that the conquering king came back and gave every person in the church a gift. And my work is to help you discover it, develop it, and exercise it in advancing the kingdom of God here and beyond. Now, some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, uh, Dennis, that is all good and nice, but I don't have great speaking skills. Thank you for saying that. I, I understand. And some of you say, I, I, I can't pray until mountains move. It's OK. And some of you can say, I, I can't sympathize with a grieving family. That's fine, too. But you know what? Maybe you can bake a cake like I can do. Maybe you can play with little children. Maybe you can sing. Maybe you can stand at the door and smile and shake people's hands as they come in. I don't know. You can do something. If the Bible is true, and I believe it is, you have a gift that God has given you that can be used in the church to grow this church into unity and maturity to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, everyone has a part they can play in doing the work of ministry. And it is the work of the gifted ministers, in verse 11 to make sure that this is happening. My desire, to be honest as a pastor, is to do ministry in such a way that the people in my church are dependent on me to equip them so that one day they can be able to carry out their Christian life without me. That they can be Christian. If I dropped them in Middle East where there was no church, that they can still thrive as a Christian. When I was in seminary, I met with uh, uh, a pastor called uh, Dr. Horner. He's the founding pastor of Providence Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, I met with him weekly, and uh, as I was meeting with him, we were talking about church and stuff. And he told me, Dennis, uh, I want you to remember always that in your church, every member is a minister and every member has a ministry. Is that good? I like that. Every member is a minister and every member has a ministry. I hope that will be the rallying call of this church, to constantly call the members of this church to be equipped as ministers of the gospel, to be a blessing to this church and to the community of Graham as a whole. I I think we are in Young County, right? And not only Graham, but going out into the county, and we can be a blessing. And we can't do that unless you are equipped to do the work of ministry. How can we do this? You know, sometimes we're very good at telling you what to do, but how can you do this? It's very simple, again, by the word of God. But it's, it's quite a task, yeah? The word of God is one of those things that people tell you, you know, wake up in the morning, read one chapter, read one verse, read the Bible. It's not easy. But equipping the saints to have this kind of an attitude to serve God in the local church is not going to happen or it cannot be accomplished by one sermon on Sunday morning once a week. It can't. It has to be a continuous, healthy dose of sound teaching through small groups, Sunday school classes, one-on-one discipleship, uh, just informal Christian relationships, it has to be a steady diet of sound theology through sound people. Can you imagine, uh, I saw a baby here. Where, where's that baby? Was it your baby? Yeah, you've a baby. Can you imagine if you fed that baby one time a week? But that, that's what we, 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 common sense tells us that I can't grow a baby by feeding them one meal, one time, in one week, and then leave them there and come back next week and take over from where I started. If that baby is still alive, we're going to be a very lucky person. But we want to feed baby Christians one lousy meal, because most sermons are really bad sermons anyway. They don't understand half of it. And we want to feed them that and then pray that they are going to be mature Christians one day in their life. It will never happen. It has to be a steady diet of sound doctrine. And they're going to mature. So in summary, my, my first point is done. So in summary, God gave gifted people to the church for the immediate purpose of preparing all the saints with the goal of training them for the work of ministry, which in turn has the final goal of building up the body of Christ. And, and the, the, the goal is that the body of Christ is built up. Not, not the finger of Christ. Not the nose of Christ. Can you imagine having a big nose and the rest of the body is okay? Or the ear of Christ, or the eyes of Christ. We have big eyes, but everything else is just... It's for the whole body. You, me... You, 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 all of us, to grow up together. To be built up, to build up the body of Christ. So it's not only critical that the leaders understand the purpose of their calling, but secondly, to know the intended end of their ministry, verse 13. And as I speak, I just want you to look at that verse and connect what I'm saying with, that, with those words. Okay? Okay? So, how long should these gifted teachers be involved in the work of equipping the saints for the work of ministry? In other words, what is the intended end of our ministry in the local church? And the answer is, the intended end of ministry is to continue what is begun in verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry, continue it. And when gifted people do their work of teaching all the saints, and we continue doing verse 12... Then the goal is that all saints will attain unity and conform to Christ. I like it. Now, let me let me just say this for those of you who might say uh, might be theologically uh, disturbed with this statement. I know that all Christians are united in Christ theologically at the point the salvation, I know that, amen? Are we all in agreement to that? That at the point that you are saved, you automatically become united with Christ. In fact, verse 4 of this same chapter says we are one body, we are one spirit, called to one glorious future. So our work as Christians is not to manufacture unity. We already have it. Say amen to that. Amen. amen. We are already united in Christ. So we don't have to manufacture unity. All we have to do is to preserve the unity that we already have in Christ. Now, immature people cannot do that. People that are, uh, 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 and that's why I think Paul is saying that for us to build the body of Christ, there has to be unity and conformity to this Christ to become like this Christ. In, in other words, in Romans, he will say this, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's masses, to offer your body as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, as this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Paul is constantly calling Christians into maturity. The problem of Christianity is not that we don 't have enough Christians to conquer the world for Jesus if we just don 't have enough mature believers that will stop fighting over petty things and start doing major things for Jesus amen that 's good and it 's not even in my notes hmm. and it, it 's it's, it's very sad by the way how how many ministers try to unite the church around their tribal affiliations. I've heard that word a lot in America in this season, that uh, Americans have tribes. I didn't know that, but they do. Those of you who have ears and understanding, may God help you understand that. Around political parties, around common programs in the church, sometimes even around our personality and giftings. Have you seen what I call the personality-driven churches? that the whole identity of the church is around a man or a person, that if we remove that person from that church, that church never exists anymore. And we try to unite the people of God around things that are not in and of themselves sinful, but they won't bring true unity in the body of Christ. I... I became a pastor 15 years ago, 15, 14, somewhere around there. My first assignment, you know, talk about being thrown uh, at the end, at the deep end of the, what, what, how do you say that? At the, at the deep end of the pool? Yeah. And you don't know, they don't throw, you don't have life, life life, guard, whatever. Vest, life vest and all that thing, you're just thrown in there and you can't even swim. So my first assignment as a lead pastor was to a church that was split and was on the verge of death. And my mentor told me, uh, if you want to maybe to show whether the Bible really exists, maybe you take this church, and you show the power of the word, and you bring it back to life. No pressure. (laughs) I was young and barely a year in marriage. Had a six-month-old baby. I was theologically ready, but lacking in experience. Now, several times a month, I would meet with older men in our community, some who are pastors and others who are not, because I wanted to get the wisdom of, the, of their age. And I wanted to learn from their experiences how I could pastor our church well. Now, I remember vividly, as if it was yesterday, one man sat me down and uh, told me how to rally and unite our people around a common mission. And that if I do this, this will make them feel like they were one, and I told him, I was already doing this. I am, I'm trying to unite them around the word of God. And he, and he hesitantly and reluctantly agreed to my method of trying to unite, to unite God's people around God's word. And I could tell from his, from his special expression that he didn't agree with me. So he, gave, he went ahead to give me free, grown-up, mature advice that I didn't ask for. And he told me, brother, build something, buy something, make it big enough for them to feel a sense of accomplishment when they're done. If you do this, they will never leave. I took to prayer and thought, maybe we should buy land and build a church. And so we began the long process of uh, finding land and buying it. At the end of it, we bought the land the church grew in numbers, but the more we grew in numbers from around 20 to 200 people, but the more we grew in numbers, the more they didn't want to leave the rented place that we were in and to go to the land that we bought. And so after, after uh, many, many years or a couple of years of trying to convince them, uh, they, decided that they decided that they're not, not going to go with us. So long story short, The people who wanted to stay found a leader among them, and they stayed. And for us who wanted to go, left, and we began another church. Now, all this to say that our efforts to try and unite our church around anything but Jesus will be futile and destructive to his church. In fact, in our example, what happened? Church division. Now, I want you to think about church history for a minute and uh, ask yourself yourself. How did the old church unite the members of the church? And you know what they did? They united them around the creeds of Christ. So people will come and say that Jesus is flesh but not spirit. You know what they will do? They will come up with a creed that will unite them in what the church believed about the humanness of Christ and the divinity of Christ. And they will do everything to unite themselves around God's word and God's doctrine. They were not a tribe. They were not a building committee. They were Christians saved by the blood of Jesus to bring glory to Jesus. They were united in their faith. We will do well if we fall in the footsteps of these men and women in history. To follow the example of Paul... And ultimately that of Jesus. And Jesus prayed, by the way. It's very it's very curious. That the, the last prayer of Jesus, when he was with the disciples, you know what he prays? John 17, I have given them the glory you gave me, so that they may be seven, as we are seven, right? Wrong. They may be how many? One. As you and I are what? One. You know, there is so much that the church can learn from the doctrine of the Trinity, three and yet one. So much that we can learn from that as a church. And I won't go in, that's a a different sermon for a different day. But the intended end for our ministry is to bring unity in the body and conformity to Christ. And there's a word there. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Now that word knowledge there is not just the the idea of knowing somebody intellectually. It It is not gnosis in Greek, it is epignosis. It is deeper knowledge, experiential knowledge, that I know you intimately. I know every side of you, that that's the kind of knowledge that Paul is calling the Christians to that we were not called into an intellectual relationship with Jesus, but into a personal relationship with Jesus. The same word Paul uses in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Same word. It's a knowledge that, that is so deep. And when a church is grounded in this faith that Jesus Christ is the son of God, and that God sent him on, on, the, on the earth to die for our sins. And if we believe in him and put our faith in him, we shall not perish but have eternal life. And put our faith in this Jesus and begin to know him personally. If the church is grounded in this faith and in this knowledge, that church is going to be mature in the Lord. And the maturity in view here is not the maturity of one person. It's the maturity of the Whole church, the whole body, growing, mature together. That's why in the morning when they say, come to Sunday school, please come. Grow together. When they say, please come to church on Sunday, come. When they say Wednesday, we're going to we're have potluck and learn the word of God. Grow together. Don't be that pinky finger that is not growing. Or that toe that is nagging the rest of the body. You know? And when one toy is in pain, the whole body is in pain. Don't be that guy. Grow together. The purpose of the gifted leaders, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the intended end of the ministry of the local church is unity and conformity to Christ. In addition to these two things, finally, we look at the result of the ministry and I know this. this sound kind of the, they, they kind of sound the same everywhere, but what, what, what is the result? What are we hoping to see at the end of this ministry? And the simple word is growth. We want to see growth. And again, as we mature together, as we are united together, as we grow together, this is the same thing. The maturity happens together as we grow together. Verse 14 to 16. Now there, Paul is going to talk about two kind of growth here. One is going to be negative, one positive. Okay? And I'm going to run through this quickly because uh, I see our time is way gone. Now if if we are diligent in the ministry of equipping the saints for the work of ministry, understanding clearly that the goal is maturing the body, we will see growth in our church. And the first part we're going to see is a negative growth or the, the manifestation of immaturity through instability and gullibility in verse 14. Have you seen those people? They are very immature. They are very gullible. They are very insta- uh, unstable. And uh, they, they, they are like children tossed back and forth. And I, I, I was I beginning to think, why did Paul use children to illustrate this point? Children are very easily impressed. Children respond immediately to what is appealing to them, even to the things that, they, that may not be good and for their benefit. They are unstable and they are gullible. Now, let me give you a story just to make this point clear. When I was a kid, I got burnt, and I have a scar on my neck. If you look very closely, you'll see a, a scar on my neck. Now, one day, my wife and I were babysitting some kids, including our own children. And children are awesome because they are always asking the questions that the adults are thinking but can't ask because they are embarrassed. So one of the kids said, what happened to your neck? And I looked at him and I said, do you want to know? And he said, yes. And I asked the other kids, do you want to know also? And they said, yes. And they, they, they were so eager to know that I had to come up, with, come up with an incredible story to meet their eagerness. So I couldn't really disappoint them. So they sat at my feet and I told them how I was swimming in a river one day and a crocodile came from nowhere and bit me in the neck with his ferocious teeth lined up in his big mouth. And they were sitting there looking at me intently, hanging to every word, I like, whoa, who is this guy? And I told them how I fought the crocodile and wrestled it for hours until I killed it. And then my wife says, in American stories, things don't die. But I killed it. And as I was, as I was saying that story, you know, I, I'm, I'm looking at their interest just kind of, kind of becoming more and more, and, uh, and I'm getting into the story, and I told them, how after I killed the crocodile, I skinned it with my own hands and cooked it all over the fire and we ate it for dinner. And they were so amazed. And they, they just looked at me and they were so excited about this hero that killed a crocodile with his bare hands. They were so amazed that as soon as their parents arrived to pick them up, guess what? They told their story. Of course, we all know what the parents thought about their story. It wasn't true. But as, and as incredible and unbelievable as this story seems, it is so true for many immature believers who sits in pews with their eyes and ears open every Sunday and eating it up of crocodile stories that are not true and are not biblical. And they're sitting there and being lied to. They fall for the tricky lies of these pastors, their clever teaching, that sound like truth, but they are not truth. Believers will not grow to maturity by any other things but by the spiritual milk of God's word. That's the negative side of not growing into maturity and conformity to Christ. What is the positive side? Verse 15. So the driving force of their life in verse 15 is the loving truth of God's word, not the cunning and deceitful scheme of the false teachers in verse 14. Now this text, let me just disappoint you for a minute. This text is not about speaking to people nicely and kindly and being sensitive. Now, those are good things, please do them. But don't come to this text to find it. Because this text does not talk about that. This text talks about the word of God. That we are to speak the word of God In truth and in love But you know Unfortunately There there are Christian people Our preachers Who know the truth so well They can speak it in Hebrew, Aramaic And Greek And they are so Know about the scripture, but God bless them, they can't communicate it in love. In Texas, when we say "God bless them, we don't really mean it. We just mean that they are pathetic, and may God help them. Their dogma and knowledge do not attract people to the beauty of God's love, but repel people from it. And have you seen those people? You know those people? They're so nice. In, when, when they're in the pulpit, you love them because of what they say. But as soon as they step out of the pulpit, you don't want to be their friend. Because they're so not loving people. And they don't speak the truth in love. And then you have others, Joel Austin, God bless his heart, who don't even tell you the truth any, any, anyway. They just love you. And they tell you that God is going to give you your best life now. And God is just sitting in heaven wanting to bless you and giving you give you everything you ask for. And you can be dying in sin and they will never mention it. They are just loving people. They will in fact tend to tell you what your itching ears want to hear. They are both wrong, they are both unbiblical, and they are both unbalanced. Now, there is uh, something... That uh, 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 There's a quote here that I want, I want to read to you from John Stott. And he said this, and I want you to listen to this very carefully. Are you listening? Please don't fall asleep on me. This is like the best part of the sermon. Okay? Are you listening? Okay. Here it comes. Truth becomes hard when it is not softened by love. But love... Becomes soft, it is not if it is not strengthened by truth, isn't that good? That was on me. That's John Stott, he's awesome. I recommend him. Please read him, don't read Joel Austin, read John Stott. And verse 16, let me finish this thing, it's about time. The unity of the body. Verse 16 kind of wraps it together. I love the way everything that Paul does comes all the way around to love. And in verse 16, uh, from whom the whole body joins and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it is built, so that it builds itself up in love. And each part of the body is, is working for one function. And one function only is to help the other parts grow. So if you think that you are, you're not doing anything big, you are doing something big. Because without you, Grand Bible is not the same. That we are coming here and we are pulling each other together and we are growing together. And this is a beautiful result of our labor, to see the body of Christ grow healthy and full of love. But this will only happen if individual believers grow mature in Christ, doing their part according to their gifting. So what is your gift? Are you doing your part? We have to all do our part. You know, one, one of the things that I, I really wish I knew was how the engine of the car works. It is so intricate. Every part is moving and doing everything. If you remove one spring and you try to crank that car, nothing happens. Because that little spring has a purpose in that engine. So you might be the little spring in that engine called the church. But if we remove you, that engine is not working. So don't be discouraged. Whatever little you can do, do it as unto the Lord. Do it as if the life of this church depended on it, because it depends on it. That's why you should say amen. Thank you. Now, this, this, this chapter begins in verse 1 with Paul saying, I therefore, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which, with which you are called. And we must hit what Paul is called the Ephesians church to do. Because Part of that is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 16, climaxing in verse 16 with love. People, let me just say this so nicely because I want you to get it. There are many children that are in foster homes, and the reason why they're in foster homes is because they come in an, from environments where there is no love. And they want to bring them from there and put them in an environment where there is love. And where there is love, people children grow up nicely. The same way that children grow nicely in a family full of love, is the same way that Christians will grow nicely in a church that is full of what's the word? Love. Love. It's not. We are a family, the family of God. So Ephesians four eleven, Paul explains the distributions of gifts. The foundational gifts are given in verse 11 to enable believers to minister in verse 12 towards the goal of edifying the body of Christ in verse 13. And the distribution of these gifts are twofold. Some negative, the individual believers might fall prey to the winds of doctrine, and others will positively grow in Christ with respect to all things. And then he concludes in verse 16 that the church enables itself to grow in love as its individual members use the gifts that they have been given by Christ to grow this church in love. So now I want to ask the question that I, that I started with. Is this church focused, or is the focus of our church, I'm, I'm going to say ours because I feel like I'm part of this church, is the focus of our church equipping the saints for the work of ministry? I pray that it is. And if it is not that we will even right now make that commitment to change the way that we do church, to mirror correctly the confession that we made at the beginning of the service here and what we've read in Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. May the Lord help us. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I have spoken the words of God with tongues of men. And uh, I may have said something inappropriate or something that was not truth. I pray that you will make it forgotten in the minds of these beloved people quickly. And may you... Uh, rivet the truths of this passage into their hearts and into their heads, that this church will not be the same again. That every single member of this church will understand that you have conquered sin on the cross and you descended into death and you ascended into heaven and as a gift of a conquering king, you have distributed it to the church, both to the individual churches the leaders of the church and to all of us to grow into unity, into maturity, and into love. And Father, I pray that that will be true of this church going forth. And if there are areas that we haven't done that well, forgive us and give us the strength and the energy to move forward by faith in obeying your word through this passage. And I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.